and welcome to Personal Finance with Phil Anderson, the podcast designed to give you all the financial advice you'll ever need. This is episode seven, and on our journey so far, we've looked at redundancy, financial planning for those of us with young or growing families, mortgages in 10 steps to buying a new home, income protection insurance, options at retirement, and pensions versus ISAs. Now, if you missed any of those, don't panic. You can listen and catch up whenever it suits you, and you really should because there is a heap of good advice. Search Personal Finance with Phil Anderson on Apple or whenever you get your podcasts, and please remember to rate and review us and subscribe. That way you'll never miss an episode again. That's Personal Finance with Phil Anderson on Apple or whenever you get your podcast. Now, when Phil got in touch to tell me the subject for this week's show, he typed in the email afterwards, it sounds like something out of Coronation Street. I know. Because this week, we're discussing how best to insure cats over a thing for crawling on. No, we're not. I'm kidding. I don't even think the credits show that cat on top of the house anymore, do they? I couldn't tell you. I haven't watched Corey since Betty's Hot Pot was fresh out of the oven. It's a long time ago, I can assure you. No, this week, we are talking about taking out life insurance on an ex-spouse or partner. Hi, Phil. Hi. Hi, John. I suppose the first question I'd ask is why you'd want to do this. It sounds like, you know, the opening few scenes of an episode of Columbo just where the baddie goes and bumps his wife off hoping to make a fortune. So why would you take out life insurance on an ex-partner? I'm assuming maybe kids are involved in your thinking here. Yeah, generally, I mean, it is like if, if someone's got children, um, I mean, one, one of the things... They, I'm assuming, let's say the, the wife looks after the, the kids or the woman looks after the kids and they stay with her. One, one of the downsides is that if anything happens to like the, the person that's paying, let's say, child maintenance, uh, when somebody splits up, you'll, you'll usually find that, not, not all the cases, I mean, some people will share custody of the children, but generally in most cases, one of them is going to be paying an amount each month as, as child maintenance. So if, if that person was to die, then there's no child maintenance coming in at that point. So that, that would probably be the, the main reason. But is, I mean, generally, it tends to be more when, when kids are, are involved rather than um, if they had no children. But it's such an important thing, and it's something that gets overlooked so much. But not only for the person that has the children staying for them, but it's also highly important for the, the one that doesn't have the kids staying for them. Because let's, again, let's just assume that the ex-wife has maybe got two kids staying with her. If she dies, then the, the ex-husband or ex-partner is then going to have the kids likely staying with him. So um, then it's like, are you going to then need to take time off work to look after them? Are you going to have childcare costs? So it is that there's so many different factors to so it's not as simple as it maybe sounds and and a lot of people think oh yeah it's not something i need to to worry about anymore that's them they can worry about that but sadly in in a lot of cases they don't worry about it which is is a pity okay so i I, you've obviously given it some consideration and um i would imagine it's one of those you know when we were talking about pensions a couple of weeks back and we said yeah some of these used to be more popular than today and they're kind of phasing out this in this instance, is probably something I would imagine is becoming more prevalent. That's more maybe coming into the uh, the public arena more now. With um, uh, I suppose uh, a lot of families splitting up. Yeah, that's it. I mean, like I, th- I think divorce rates are, are kind of going up to to be quite a high level. Certainly more than they were quite a lot of years ago. So um, you, you're getting more. What is it? They often call it like blended families, where you've maybe got. 
a, a, a couple that's got kids. I, I know that myself, I've got kids to two different mums. So, so it is, it's kind of, you've got these sort of blended families a lot more. And, and years ago, it was like, yeah, folk would get married and have so many kids with the same partner and that was it. And they would live for, or um, be married for 40, 50 years. But that happens kind of less and less these days. It does still happen, but no, there's just a lot more folk kind of separating these days. Yeah. So you've identified a need. I'm assuming it is actually legal to take out life covered an ex-partner. Presumably, I mean, it requires their consent at least. Yeah, I mean, what you need, there's got to be an insurable interest. So, for example, I couldn't just say, right, I'm going to insure John Mellis. They almost take a gamble if anything happens to him. So you've got to have a, you've got to have an insurable interest in someone. So, for example, coming back to my situation, my my ex partners, I, I could take out a policy on either of them because I've got an inter, I've got children with, with the two of them. So if anything happened to them, that's going to be I've got an insurable interest there. So um, as long as you've got an insurable interest, then that's something that you can can consider looking at trying to take out a policy on someone else's life. Okay, again, just considering this as a, a life stepping stone, I suppose, you know, it could impact other financial areas, some other policies. So probably a good time to, to sit down and review things with a financial advisor after a breakup. Are there other policies that could be affected? Yeah, I mean, that's it. When, when a couple split up, you definitely need that. To me, that is a, like a trigger that it's a good time to sit down and take financial advice because you've got so many different things like to, to take into account there. You've got like pensions, for example. So not, normally most folk will make a nomination on their pension fund that um, if I die, I want the money going to whoever. So again, you might want to, to change that. It's also a good time to review any existing policies and think, right, have they been set up like in trust? Who's the beneficiaries? Um, do we need wills is another one, like when, when folks split up. Um, reviewing a will is, is such an important thing. So, yeah, I, I would always recommend when, when somebody does split up, it, it's a good opportunity to just sit down and review things. I mean, mortgages would be impacted if someone had a joint mortgage. Protection policies is a, a big one. Pensions. There, there's so many different areas that's going to be, be impacted. And, and part of that would be covering things like life insurance and, and how things go forward from there. And I suppose, you know, just given the actual stress of a, a, a split, these things aren't necessarily going to be foremost in your mind, are they? They're, they're, they're probably going to take a, a sort of backward step for the, for the I know, that's it. Plus also you, you get some splits that aren't that amicable. That, that's the other thing as well. So um, you, you'll get some where it is maybe a bit more amicable and they could sit down. So it may well be that, like, if a couple are together and split up, they, they may end up having different financial advisors. But I've, I've, in the past, what I've normally tended to do is that you, you don't want there to be a conflict of interest. So some folk will maybe def, deal with a different financial advisor, but within the same firm. Um, some couples are happy to still keep dealing with the same advisor that they've dealt with previously. Um, and if that's the case, sometimes it can help in some ways because they've maybe got all the existing policy details so they can look and, and say, right, we would recommend doing this or, or that. But um, another thing that comes up if, if the split isn't amicable is if, if you are taking out life insurance on somebody else's life, you need their sort of permission for that or consent to, to do it. Now, the, the main reason for that is that they, they would need to sign any application forms, but also go through any underwriting. 
So um, because they have to do that, there'll be medical questions that need answered. So you would need their input into to that as well. But you're right when you said it sounds like an ep- like something out of an episode of because uh, you, you often used to see that it's like oh, I'm going to bump off my ex-partner and get their like their ex-partner so they're going to bump off their partner to get the life insurance so yeah, it's, it's, that's it tricky dicky um, so th- that that presumably takes care of the idea of you cannot get uh, life insurance in your, your ex-husband or wife without them knowing you, you simply can't do that yeah, I'd say they, they would need to be in, informed. And um, I guess, like, in an ideal world, if people still get on, great. But I know myself, like, I, I know how it can be. Not everybody's going to kind of play ball, but it's such an important thing. I think for me, the most important thing is it's got to be for the kids, has it? That, that's it. It's like doing what's best for them. So, I mean, like, if, if one of my ex-partners came to me and said, right, I want you to. I want to do life insurance on your name. I'll pay for it. I, they they would pay for it, but I would know that ultimately, at the end of the day, that's going to benefit my kids because, like for for me, the maintenance I pay each month. I mean, if anything happened to myself, okay, I've I've got a business that would be be sold and or whatever would happen with that, and then there'd be money from it. But um, it is it's important for to have, for the kids to have the the protection, and, and not only that, but the parent who's looking after the kids as well. I mean, if if you've got let's say somebody's paying three hundred pounds a month in maintenance for for their kids over a year, that's three thousand six hundred, and then over fifteen years. That's fifty-four thousand pounds. So if you had that, just and that—that's just like a few hundred pounds. You get some folk that have to pay a thousand pound a month in, in maintenance. So I, I feel it is important to have that kind of protected and, and covered because that would that would make a big difference. But not only that, you've also got if you lose one parent, like. The, the child might not get on so many holidays, so you've maybe got costs of that. Um, I know for me, I, I buy a lot of my clothes for, for my kids. Not only do I pay maintenance for them, but I, I spend a lot of money taking them on holidays, doing stuff with them. So it's kind of weighing up all that cost. I mean, the, a lot of that cost will be there regardless of whether there's one pain or two. So it's such an important subject, really, and it is one that I think more people should really take more notice of to be honest and when it comes to to this type of life insurance uh, is there is there more than one type of life i mean we looked at pensions the other week for instance and there's a variety of different products uh, within that environment um yeah. i take it there's more than one type of life insurance if there is what kind should we be going for in this instance i say i mean they, they, there's there's quite a number of different types of policy you can take out people often think life insurance is quite straightforward and and in some ways it is like if you take out a policy and somebody dies it pays out an, an amount there but you you get the probably one to cover sort of maintenance payments um, a really good one for that would be what's called family income benefit that's one the, the way that that works is it's almost like a decrease in policy so it would maybe pay out a certain amount per month for however long it's covered for. So um, if someone died soon into the policy, it would pay out for longer, whereas if they died nearer the end of it, the payout's not going to be be so much. But the good thing with family income benefit is that it can be a lot less cost-wise. So it's a lot less expensive than maybe a policy that remains level. Um, you also get policies that increase. So, so you can take out a policy for a set amount of time that would pay out a level lump sum, ones that where that lump sum goes up. There's quite a lot of different factors and it's trying to get what's best for 
your circumstances. But um, if someone was looking, if cost was a big factor, then maybe something like family income benefit or a decrease in policy would be good in that sort of circumstances. And do they measure the duration of that sort of policy along the life of a child? So, for instance, you know, is it up until the child turns 18 or is in full-time education? Is it that sort of way that it's worked out? Yeah, I mean, you, you could you can take it out for different terms. So you might think, right, my kids, I, want, I mean, nobody knows. Like, you might have a, a young child and you think, right, I'm going to do it for maybe 25-year term because they may go to university and maybe want them to be a doctor and study for, for years after school. Um, so, they, yeah, the, the term would come down to that. I mean, I, I know for myself, I tend to do things up to the, the kids are maybe like, say, 21 um, because I know by that age you hope that they'd be kind of self-dependent kind of by then some folk would maybe just do it till they thought right I'll do it up to the age of 16 or 17 when they leave school the, the term on, on life insurance will will impact on the premiums as well but you, you tend to find the, the big things that impact on it is like um, somebody's age um, their health will have an impact, whether they're a smoker or non-smoker. Um, so that's all the sort of things that impact the premium. But it's really trying to tailor it to somebody's budget and needs. That, that's that's the thing there. Okay, as with all of these financial products, I always ask: Are there any, are there any possible pitfalls? Are there are there things that can go wrong when you're trying to do this? Uh, I guess like the, the main thing I would say if somebody's filling in an application for life insurance is to be as honest as possible with the, the questions they're being asked when they go through the underwriting because the last thing you want is for a company not to make a payout. That, that's one sort of big thing. So I would always say like if, if your ex-spouse or partner is filling in an application, then you, you do want them to be accurate with the, the information that you're giving you for, for filling it in on the, the forms because the last thing you want is to be paying a premium and then for a policy not to, to pay out. And if, if that was the case, usually then what would happen is the insurer would refund the premiums that had been paid. That's no substitute if you're expecting like a, a lump sum off or something and you just get your, your premiums back. Um, so now that would that would be a, a sort of pitfall. Um, another thing that it's almost a bit of, of a pitfall, but if, if somebody's got... Like, let's say you've got a couple and they've already got policies in place. What we want is to, to review the existing policies. Now, some companies will let you split a policy up so you can then, let's say it's in joint names, they might say, right, now you can have that policy and, and split it in two. Very few companies allow you to do that, though. Some companies, have, there's no flexibility at all and, and they won't let you amend a policy, whereas others will maybe let you take one of the, the names off, so to keep cover either in your own name. Another pitfall is if one of you has had any health issues, it may be hard to get cover again in the future. So that would be something to take into account as well. Like when, when somebody does initially separate, again, that's a, a good time. And maybe sit down with a financial advisor and say, look, we've, this is the policies we've got. How best do we can I review what we've got? Do we look at taking out new policies? I would always say to somebody, never cancel any existing policies until the new ones are set up and, and in place as well. So I guess there is a few kind of like pitfalls that, that people can come across there as well. I suppose as well, I'll just add to that one, something that's happened to us uh, in, in our own marriage is that we have a life insurance policy which dates so far back um, that the conditions that it listed for paying out don't include something that my wife now has, which is sort of only coming to medical um, 
parlance, if you like, during yeah. the course of the term. So um, had we claimed before they knew what this was, it would have probably fallen under the terms of MS. Um, yeah. But now it's known as FND, functional neurological disorder, and the policy yeah. doesn't pay out in that. So I suppose what I'm saying is if you have a significant change to your own health, then you best to go back and review things again and make sure yeah, that the policy definitely. Is, That's it. is updated. So, I know. So on a policy like that, I mean, if, if that was like a critical illness policy, you might think, right, it's maybe best, best keeping that because it would be harder for her to get cover like in the in the future probably so or the, the companies might not cover certain things so it's always good to be kind of going back and reviewing all that sort of things as well and not only that some policies have got what's called guaranteed insurability options so for example if someone's moving house they maybe don't know that the policies maybe got an automatic function where even if their health has deteriorated they may be able to increase the cover with no medical underwriting so again that's where like sitting down with a, a financial advisor and reviewing all these things can really add benefit to, to people um i guess it's peace of mind is it you think right what am i covered for folk, folk did i know i mean i i've got numerous policies myself and i know i've got a rough idea how much would pay out and, and things but a lot of folk didn't realize exactly what they've got so it's good to just Remind them, and and also you you'll find like if, if someone's got a, an existing policy and it's life insurance and critical illness cover, the the chances are that a lot of those policies will have what's called children's cover included in it. So it's important to factor in all of that sort of things as well. One thing I used to do when when I was an advisor, I would often rather than setting up joint policies for folk, I would set up two individual policies. And the reason that I would do that, it would add about 10% to the cost, just as a general kind of rule of thumb, but um, it would add about 10%. But if something happened to both parents at the same time, they would both, there would be twice as much paid out. If something happened to one, the other one still got cover in place. And also, um, the, the other thing, you, you then probably, if it was joint, like, sorry, if it was two life and critical illness policies, you've got like two children's payouts if anything ever happened to the kids. Um, if a couple then separated, they've got a policy each, so they didn't have to worry about breaking a policy up. So there's a lot of benefits in setting up individual policies for people as well, which, and, and yeah, okay. Okay, it adds, say, 10% to the cost, but it's looking at all the extra benefits that it gives as well. And the main thing with life insurance, I guess, is like the peace of mind that if anything happens, you want to know. Like, I get, for me, I mean, like, it's when you often come to the point where you ask about, like, my story. So this probably leads in nicely to that. But so for my circumstances, I've, I've got a lot of life insurance for myself, and I, I pay for that. And I want to know that if anything happens to me, there's money left for my, my children. But likewise, I also pay a policy on one of my ex-partners because I think we were five kids together and I'm like, if anything happens to her, jeepers, I'm, I, it, that has a big impact on my life because then I've got five boys coming to stay with me. Um, so I probably need to take more time off work, which would then maybe impact on what I'm making. So I, it, it's such an important area um, and I, I can see that. And um, I, I've seen it, I had a, a client just the other week. They, they were in a fortunate position that the, the ex-partner had left money. He'd actually died, left money for the, the child, which was great. But 
for for the woman, she'd need maintenance then coming in. So you you've got to think cheaper. She she hasn't got any maintenance for uh, the kids are, are quite young, and you're thinking that's like quite a long period where she hasn't got that extra revenue coming in. And okay, there was a bit of a lump sum for left for for the kids, but um, it's like is that enough? That, that's kind of the thing. And it's an act of kindness and common sense, really, isn't it? Uh, for 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 your own child, um, where you, you know you might be by this stage, if it's someone that you separate from, be conditioned to, they're not getting an extra penny out of me, I pay. Exactly, and, yeah. and, and the thing is, it's not it's not for them, it's it's for your kids, and that's that's the smart thing about it. Um, yeah. Just going back to what you were saying there about different uh, separate life insurance policies for, uh, say, the, the different the partners in a, in a relationship. If yeah. I say to my wife, I think it's a good idea that you take out your own separate life insurance policy, is it okay for me to FaceTime you so that you can explain it to her in a smart way? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not I thinking, know. we're back to the start of that Columbo episode again, you know what I mean? I, I know, that's exactly <laughs> it. It's, just, it's quite, I mean, life insurance is quite a sensitive topic. And also, for dinner expect to die that, that's probably i mean like the amount of people it's like oh no i want to die i don't need that but unfortunately like you see it we all like, expect I, to but it's just not today yeah I mean, like i it's my I, i'm away to turn 44 and then and i kind of think i was like oh, i'm probably about to me i'm thinking it has me about halfway through my life but nobody knows that, that's a thing and like the only that i mean you, you've got I see it like quite regularly, more than you would want. And life isn't fair sometimes. I mean, sometimes it can be the kids that, that can die. And, and I've seen that. And, and also, I, I've seen quite a number of times where whether somebody's together or whether they're separated, it's stuff that sadly you see more than you want to see. And it, it kind of it does. But people do check when it comes to taking out life insurance, they do tend to have the attitude. It's like, oh, hasn't it got to happen to me? But Hey, I, I know for me, I, I pay out quite a lot in different policies per month, but it gives me the peace of mind that I know if anything did happen, my kids are going to be looked after. I suppose life insurance is quite a selfish thing because you're only going to, or, or you're only going to benefit from it yourself. So by having a policy, it's somebody else that's ultimately going to benefit from that. But um, I know for me, it's like, do I love my kids enough that if anything happens to me, there's going to be money left. It's like, yeah. So the amount I pay out each month for that, my policy is probably quite a small sacrifice, really knowing that if should anything happen to me, that there's money left for them. I don't think it's selfish at all. I think it's selfless, actually. Yeah, is, uh, is yeah that, uh, definitely. Um, okay, Phil, you, you've covered how this has affected your own life. We always uh, get a quote from you as well when we do this, but I, mean, I know that you find inspiration through various people that you admire and you love a quote. Have you got yeah. one that fits our subject matter for this episode on life insurance on an ex-partner? I do. This one as well. It's almost really half a quote. It's a Steve Jobs one. Okay. Um, but that quote was actually quite lengthy, so I've just shortened it slightly. And it's funny, just for what we were saying just a few moments ago, it's no one wants to die. Even people who want to go to heaven don't want to die to get there. So that's so it is. And that's just what we're speaking about. Nobody wants that. That's something that nobody wants to, to happen. But ultimately, it's the one thing that happens to us kind of all at, at some point in time. And uh, one thing I forgot to, to mention, just I was going through uh, 
everything else was it like putting policies and trusts is, is another thing and I, again that's probably another reason to sit down with, with like a financial advisor and, and say right do we have policies are they in trust do we want to put them in trust um, so, so you might think right I did trust my ex-partner to look after that money so I want to put that money in trust so that somebody else looks after it but it's for my kids so so again that, that, that's the sort of thing you, you can go online and, and compare life insurance go on the comparison websites, but it, when I go into detail, it'll just give you the cheapest premiums. And I guess you could argue and say, oh, but life insurance would be quite easy to sort of compare. And I guess it, it is in some ways, but then you've got so many different types of policies. But when it comes to things like putting policies in trust, do they have like guaranteed insurability options, any like add-ons? Because a lot of policies now, they've got extra benefits included in them as well. I mean, there's, there's one insurer what they do is they, they'll give you a premium to start with, but if you can prove to them that you lead a healthy lifestyle and work out regularly, that you maybe walk so many steps every month, they, they can actually have it that your premiums can reduce over time. So they, there's, it's definitely worth speaking to a financial advisor um, and they, they can have a look and tailor a policy specifically to someone there but and again they can also look at things like putting your policy in trust as well yeah just go, go back to that for me for a second so w- what happens then is uh your the money that you're paying into the policy um is held by a third party and in the event of something happening it then goes it is then made available to your your children or to the the part yeah the that's part it so you you, you can set up like ask somebody to, to be a trustee. So the, the beneficiaries would be, say, the children, um, but you appoint a, a trustee to look after that money. So they they would then have control. So they might think, right, you know, the, your ex-partner's a junkie. I don't know, want them getting the money um, because they'll spend it on themselves. Um, so they might think, right, we want to keep some of that money back for the kids. So maybe when they're a bit older, we can give them it as a deposit for a house or to buy a car. Um, so the trustees are then in control of, of when the child gets that money. They might think, yeah, they need money for clothes and food. So we'll give them so much. They might pay out so much as like an amount each month rather than giving somebody a lump sum, which they might go and blooter. At, at that point so that, that's all important aspects that a financial advisor can discuss all of that sort of things and that, that's where if you go on a comparison website they're not going to discuss it's just like who's going to choose this cover bang that's it so a lot to take into account and it sounds a simple subject but there is a, there's a lot to, to kind of take into account and that's why when we, with, with the topic of this one I thought oh this one could rattle through it really quickly but yeah. there's factors to take into account as well and listen, when you go to these comparison websites, you're not going to get words as brilliant as Bluter involved there either. So. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, Phil, to summarise on, on this episode, taking out life insurance policy on an X, the takeaway points, we've covered quite a bit, but I guess if you had to distill that down, what, what do we need to know? I'd probably say the main takeaway points is definitely make sure it's something that you consider. Think about like just say, right, what if they weren't there? What if I weren't there? What would the consequences be? So that would be the main takeaway points. It's like, and then the, the other, I suppose the other takeaway I'd say is sit down with a financial planner and they can like look at life insurance in more detail, see what you need, what you should have on your ex as well. And um, sometimes they can act as a bit of a mediator as well to, to both parties because when folk do split up, it is, it's, it's a time where, 
it's not always going to be amicable. They're they're not always going to agree on things, and sometimes just having somebody else there can 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 help a wee bit with, with that as well. So uh, my main takeaway this week, I would say, is to make sure you give it consideration as to what would happen if your ex-partner, uh, ex-husband, ex-wife, ex-partner did die. Okay, uh, Phil is always keen on trying to help you with your financial queries. If you want to email a question to us, please do. And as always, uh, we can ask them anonymously if you wish. Let's get on to this week's uh, contact details for you coming up in a moment if you want to send a question in as well. The first this week comes from Gillian in Perth. Now, she's been employed by a distiller her entire adult life. I bet your Christmas presents were great with her. Uh, And she's about to retire on her 50th anniversary of working there. A couple of weeks ago, uh, when we were looking at pensions, Phil, you mentioned that a final salary scheme and how those weren't so prevalent now. Well, because Gillian's been with that same employer all that time, she actually does have one of those schemes about to come into play and she's due to benefit pretty well off the back of it. She's happy with her little pot and uh, can get by quite nicely, she reckons. Her question is, can she simply transfer the funds to another pre- uh, pension product of her choosing? With, with final salary schemes, the way that they work is you, usually they would offer you like a tax-free lump sum and you can spend that on, on whatever you wish and the rest will provide a secure income. So, so they'll pay out an income for the rest of your life. Normally, I mean, it, if someone was married, it would normally have some sort of spouse's benefit that that would pay out the, the income to them. But one thing we are seeing more is people are considering moving their finally, final salary pensions into say, a personal pension. I think that's um, what she's after, yeah. yeah. There's pros and cons to that. So, I mean, I get, uh, one, one thing she would need to do is take advice from a, a pension transfer specialist. For, for financial advisors to give advice on that, they, they've got to have done extra exams and not every company will, will advise on, on that as well. Some, some folks see it as like a high-risk thing to do. Others, they, there's pros and cons. So, I mean, the, the advice would be to sit down with a pension transfer specialist specialist they, they can review it and see why you'd maybe want to do that one, one of the reasons some folk want to do it is they think right i would like more control of over that money so they they, they get what's called a like a cash value so the, the pension scheme will say right if you transfer it to your own pension this is how much of a amount would be transferred now if you were then to die you've got extra death benefits but the downside is that that, that any income you take from that isn't 100% secure, so the, the money generally would be invested. So there, there's pros and cons to it. So definitely the best thing would be to, to sit down, speak to a pension transfer specialist, and they, they can weigh it all up to see what would be the, the best thing, best way to go in that situation. Okay, and question two is from Alex and Martha Gill in Hoyk. They've uh, come into a bit of cash after a relative passed away. And they want to set up some form of investment for their two children. They have £20,000 to divide between the pair of them, which is a simple enough carve up, even given my my arithmetic. Um, Their question is, what's the best way to invest for the kids? Accessing the funds right now, it's not an issue. It's not a priority. They want this going away for a while until the kids are older. Uh, They're more interested in paying as little tax as they have to on the cash or any funds that they have to get. You know, yeah. out, uh, and sticking it somewhere that they're likely to make the best long-term return. So what are your thoughts on that, Phil? I'd say the, the first thing that I would kind of take into account for them is do they want to be in control of the money or would they be happy for the kids to, to kind of be in control of it at some point? Because one option is that if, if they don't have ISAs, they could put the money in their own name. It would grow tax-free 
kind of there. So that that may be one option, but that then the money's still in their names rather than in the kids' names. If if they were to set up, let's say, junior ISAs for the kids, that that would be something that they could do. But the downside with that is that when the kids get to a certain age, they then have full control over that money. Um, so, so you might think, well, I didn't want to do that because like I know, I know at 18, if somebody said to me, right, at age 18 years, 15 grand, yeah. oh, happy days. Yes. Like, I'm off to the three lungs for a pint. Thank you very much. <laughs> so it is, it's, it's kind of... So that that would be quite an important factor in in that discussions. The other thing as well would be like what risks are willing to take. I mean, if if you keep your money just in cash deposits at the bank, at the minute the interest rates are poor, but if you're putting money away for the kids, you you can generally tend to maybe put it into something that can be a bit more up and down. And and the hope is that over the longer term it's going to do better. So there is this different thing, different investments that you can look at there where you can, there's plenty of options for them, that's for sure. So it's trying to weigh up, do they want to still control the money? Do they want access? Um, would they like be happy putting it in the kids' names, keeping it in their names? Sometimes they'll think, yeah, it would be nice to, to have access to it. Should we really an emergency come up and we need it? Um, and then the, the risk factor is a, a big one as well. So there's a lot of things kind of come into play in, in that situation. So it's not as easy as just saying, right, I would recommend putting it in here. Again, good to sit down with somebody, weigh everything up and, and weigh up the different options and then pick what would be best for their like circumstances as it is. Yeah, you mentioned their ISAs. Um, one of our previous episodes, and this is what I always say at this point, um, one of our previous episodes, we did cover ISAs, and in fact, a couple of our previous episodes, pensions yeah. versus ISAs, uh, we looked at it in another uh, show as well. If you go back to the stuff that we've done previously, there's a real vault of knowledge that you can explore there uh, and full details where you can find all that in just a second. But one of the, the, the sort of touch points that I was thinking of in ISAs, you can save more in an adult ISA um, tax than you can in kids, can't you? Just slightly more. Yeah. That's it. So the, the adult ones, you've got an allowance of £20,000 each that you can put into that. So like with that money, if one of the, the parents hadn't used their ice allowance, they could put the whole lot into there. Yeah. Um, whereas if, if they did put it into the two kids' names, um, they, it's 9000 each, or I think it was just over 9000 yeah. They wouldn't have the full like amount yeah. to be able yeah. to win that. But, so yeah, that, that would be kind of considerations to, to look at. But as I say, it's like if you put in a junior ISA, the child then has control of that when they hit, I think it's 18. So at that age, they, they can do what they want with that money and you kind of stop them. Whereas if you've still got the money in your own name, you may think, right, no, I only want to give them so much now. And I wouldn't say it depends how much you trust the kids, but that's a conversation that like a financial advisor would have with folk when they're deciding where they are going to, to put the, the proceeds of that money coming through. Every every kid matures at a different rate, don't they? I mean, I, definitely. That's I, it. I know. I know. For instance, that my my daughter, who is uh, ten years old, is is perfectly trustworthy, and yet my son, who's fourteen, if I left him alone in the house for for five minutes, he'd probably have the place set set alight with. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm doing him a best service. I'm John yeah, Millis. Thank you for joining us today for personal finance with Phil Anderson. If you feel you need a helping hand with anything we've been discussing or anything else of a monetary matter, find Phil for finance. Search Phil Anderson Financial Services online uh, and on Facebook, Twitter or LinkedIn as well. Or you can email Phil a question that you can answer on a future show. His address is phil at philandersonfinancial.co.uk. That's phil 
at philandersonfinancial.co.uk. Send him your question and he could be answering it in an upcoming podcast. And please, as I say, be assured, we will not use your real name if that's what you prefer. Remember, if you found any of this useful, please rate and recommend us and please subscribe on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. Then you get us every week with the info you want when you need it. You get all the links you need on Phil's social media. Good luck with your money. Phil is doing his best to help make that cash go further. We'll see you next time. And thanks for listening. Thanks, John. Thank you.